Welcome back to another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. I wanted to record a quick intro here to lead us into the special two-part episode with Aaron Farmer. Aaron has been in the industry for almost 30 years. He spent 23 years as a farmer's agent and created a wholesale flood insurance program in California from scratch, and more recently is a co-founder with Bradley Flowers, in a pet insurance digital brokerage. I really enjoyed this conversation. Aaron is a high energy guy. I think you're going to get a lot from the conversation. It is broken up into two parts. There's no way that we could get all of this content into one episode. You guys would be sitting here for like an hour and a half and ain't nobody got time for that, right? So we have the first half this week and the second half drops next week. For those of you listening in the future, make sure you catch part two, which is right after this episode in the queue of things. Love to connect with you. If there's anything I can help you with, if you have suggestions for how we can make the pod better or guests you want to hear, anything like that, drop us a line. The email is podcast at agencyfreedom.com. You can also connect with us on social join our Facebook group for Agency Freedom fans and listeners. Just go to Facebook and type in Agency Freedom in the search bar. And we'd love to connect with you real soon. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Mr. Aaron Farmer. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Captivity can go far beyond the companies you represent. It starts between your ears and its impact is felt in every corner of your business. We're all about helping agency principals and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. If your goals are big enough, you're going to have to get uncomfortable to be able to reach them. Our team at RiskWell is living this out every single day. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and everything I learn along the way. We deliver relevant, tactical, and actionable content from industry peers, innovative partners, and a variety of leaders from other business verticals. We're not holding anything back. There's no upsell, no guru pitch, and no fluff. It's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Welcome back to the show, folks. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. We help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. My guest for this episode is Mr. Aaron Farmer, and he is the president of Cal Flood Insurance Services, and he is also the co-founder of Top Dog Pet Insurance. There is a lot to unpack in this episode. Aaron and I are both unfortunate members of the you know, former Farmers Agents of America fan club. I'm not sure what the acronym is there, but man, we're going to get it on in this episode. I'll tell you up front right now, folks, I don't know if this is just one longer than average episode or if it's going to end up being two shorter than average episodes because we may not be able to fit everything into 45 minutes with this guy. Aaron Farmer, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, James. Thanks for having me on the show. Really looking forward to this. You reached out on November 1st and said, hey, I've been meaning to reach out for a while. And then you just gave me this mega long paragraph. And I read that and went, holy crap, that sounds like a banger of an episode. I've got to get this guy on. 
So I really appreciate you uh, making time and your valuable schedule here. You know, as we are racing towards the finish line where everybody checks out for a week and a half for the holiday season. So I'm going to have to be disciplined in how I ask you some of these questions because I know that most of them have a lengthy and interesting answer. Yeah, no, no, no problem. I I did reach out and, um, you know, there's some circles out there that we run in together, but for whatever reason, I just haven't, we we may have crossed, but I've seen you in a few things. And I got to tell you, I think you're going to laugh in a bit and you've heard this before, but I think I'm a little bit older than you and you got a lot of passion and I liked your passion and I have some passion too, but you know, my initial thought, I'm like, God, this guy drives me crazy. He says these things in, in some of the uh, forums. I know you've heard that before, probably. Yep. And yep. Uh, and so at first I was like, man, I don't know about this guy. But as uh, you know, as time went on, I said, you know, he just has um, some strong ideas, but that's good. He he wants to help people. And then and then you did the podcast, and as I listened, I said, you know what, you know, I, I like this guy. I like this guy. I got. I want to you know meet him and just say hi and. And uh, especially we had a connection with farmers and I yeah, thought man. that was important. So here we are. I'm really glad you did. I, <laughs> as I confessed in episode 52, about six months ago, I was like, I come across as the unintentional asshole uh, half the time. And um, I, I think the podcast has been a wonderful outlet to help people better understand. I'm a lot more than just a, a dogmatic blurb in the comment section. So the opportunity to, to advance the conversation, to, to help peers, you know, achieve their version of success. And just honestly, for my own selfish purposes, to interview cool people doing really interesting things and, you know, learn myself right along with the audience, like the stuff that you're going to talk about today, you and I have never been face to face. No. So, you know, for my own, you know, personal, Hey, I'm interested in X, Y, Z. It's like, yeah, let's get after it. So I really appreciate your kind words, and I'm, I'm glad you reached out because you've got a very interesting story. I'm just going to hand you the mic and say, catch us up to the point where you decided to make your freedom jump, uh, leave farmers. You're around 50 years old when that happens, according to the message I'm reading here off of LinkedIn. You know, catch us up to that point. What's the Aaron Farmer story up to then? And we'll just, you know, get to there, and then we'll take it onward. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I would say the, well, let me just start with, it wasn't just because I do have a soft spot in my heart for all the farmers, brothers and sisters out there. And, and I should also say, look, I believe you can be successful. It doesn't matter. Independent, captive, there's successful people everywhere. Yep. And I'll tell you actually another kind of interesting story. I sh- I'll start with this. So I didn't even have auto insurance when I first started. Okay. I didn't have auto insurance. <laughs> and my district manager, uh, you know, I think, I don't know if you had to do this, but they had the Limra test and, you know, to see mm-hmm. if you, if you could, um, you know, and he, he gave me all the answers. I was in debt. I didn't have auto insurance. Prior to that, I had gone to Geico and I didn't pass their test. They said I wasn't a good candidate, which is kind of interesting in, in and of itself. But when I, you know, this district manager who was a mentor to me, a really good guy within farmers, very successful person within San Diego, you know, said, Hey, here's the type of money you can make. Right. And we've heard this story many times. Hey, you can make all this money and you got to work hard, but you do have to work hard. And I said, okay, but I want to meet someone who's really made that money. Don't tell me you can make this money. I want to know someone who really has done it. And he said, okay. And he interviewed me multiple times. 
And he said, I'm going to make a call. I'm going to have you go meet somebody. And this person's really making the money. I said, okay, sounds good. And I'm in San Diego. So he had two other recruits and he sent us three to meet Troy Korsgaden. Oh. So he was friends with Troy, you know, again, probably through the circles, uh, successful people. And we drove up. So I was, again, this is 24 years ago. And we met Troy at his office and uh, he took us to lunch and told us how he made it. And he had some tough times too. So that was really enlightening to me to say, okay, here's a guy who really did make it. It wasn't easy. And anyway, so that was, that's the backstory on how he started. But first couple of years were tough. Eventually started getting some success, getting into, as we talked, you know, niches and riches and all that sort of thing. But I did get into the restaurant thing out here, got in with Denny's and El Pollo Loco and a few things. And so got some success, but as time went on, I just kind of felt like there was a bigger world out there for me. I guess that maybe that's the best way to put it. And um, I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's important. I, I don't have any intention to like sort of, you know, there's no bashing of farmers. It was really just uh, because there's some people, you know, it depends what you're, what, you know, what are you after? Right. And, and yeah. I just wanted more. And I, and I think I just kind of reached a sort of plateau for myself. Well, you know, I, on that note, it I'm not bashing at all when I say it's just a different business model. The service volume is so much higher. You have to work hard to retain you know, your existing business because you don't have any other options. The example that I, I've given a few times on the podcast, and I only name drop him because I knew him personally when I was a farmer's agent, and he was basically the gold standard of the outstanding agent like president's council darn near every year uh sam schlehuber is his name i think he's still you know an, an agent here in the dallas area just an absolutely stand-up guy very proud of of the work that he's done uh, i don't have any idea what his take-home is but we talked about premium volume back in the day we didn't talk revenue you know but at the time his premium volume was somewhere you know 16 18 million and he'd been in the game for 18 years. And it's like the, the ceiling for a captive agent is just so much lower than the independent side. I do basic math and realize, you know, Sam's probably making somewhere in the neighborhood of $2 million annual revenue, which for a farmer's agent is a freaking monster. He's just got a huge agency. He has like 14 people that work on his team. And it's like, okay, that's really impressive. But then you get out of the independent world and you realize that a $2 million agency is itty bitty in the grand scheme of things. You know, Sam Schlehuber or Troy Korsgaden or pick other mega agents in the captive world, what, you know, they're considered as huge. They wouldn't even be considered average uh, in, the, in the independent world. Now you meet a, and sorry, Fusco, if you listen to this, but you meet a Mike Fusco uh, in San Diego, you know, Fusco and Orsini. And I mean, I don't know exactly what Mike's revenue is at his shop, but it's, you know, 20 or $30 million for their operation. And they've got, you know, a hundred people that work there. It's like, holy, you're literally like 20 times the size of, of, you know, Schleuber is like, and there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Fusco and Orsini's across the country, you know, agents in agency principals that are doing amazing things just at a scale that no captive agent has ever reached anywhere in the country. So uh, that, 
I, I'm just defending you there. You're not yeah. bashing anybody. It's just a different game entirely. Like I said, you're right. And it just depends on, again, what is the end game for you? For some people, um, I mean, you know, is money the end game? Is time uh, the end game? Is a good life the end game? Th those are questions I guess people have to ask. But but as I got to, to, to answer the question, you know, as I was getting older, and making that decision, it, it sort of became, I was looking at a couple things. One is, I think you have to look at what is the value, as you know, what is the value of selling an agency? And clearly, yeah. an independent agencies are going for, you know, the multiples are much higher, right? Yep. And at the time, and I'm sure things are going to continue to evolve. So, but this is at that time when you can only make a decision with what you know, you, it was difficult to sell, you know, the company, uh, would have to make the decision on if they'd accept the person, first of all, mm -hmm. so they could, and there were people that would get all the way to the finish line. And then, you know, they'd say, Oh, I'm not going to accept this person or something like that. So that kind of, you had to take it's that. Terrifying. In, yeah. You had to take that in consideration. And yeah. then I think you have to look at uh, retention. So retention rates, at least, you know, I know everyone at every area, every area, everyone thinks that is different, right? Like I say, Oh, San Diego is much different than Texas or something, you know, and, and by and large, they're all, they're all the same, but I think if you look and say, okay, some top agencies are in the low 90s. If they're really working automation and you've got VAs and you've got certain things, you could probably get there. And I'm looking at, and I thought I did a pretty good job when we were like at 82 or something. Well, if you take that number on a big agency over 10 years, you could talk about a million dollars, right? And invested, yeah. I mean, you're talking a big number. So that was another thing that really, in my mind, was very important to look at. So... And then the final thing was they had the uh, contract value freeze. Yeah, I don't know if you remember that or if that was a thing. I don't. That know. might have been before my time. Yeah. Well, this was uh, in 2019. Oh, uh, that yeah, it was after my time. They had a they had a freeze uh, of the contract value that just basically said, okay, you know. And again, let's talk about contract value. So that was the you know, some made up number that, that it's a gimmick. Yeah. So the whole concept of a contract value is, is basically just normalizing theft by the carrier. It is market value theft that is so normalized. Nobody pushes back on it. And at the end of the day, the, the entire notion that a captive insurance agency owner is a 1099 is, is laughable. The only reason that nobody sues the carrier in a class action suit is they're scared of biting off the hand that feeds them. And it, that whole side of things, I was never understood. It was like, how in the world can you say that I'm an independent subcontractor? I look at the IRS's guidelines that define what a W-2 should be and what a 1099 should be, and you guys are violating like half a dozen different things. You tell me what I can or can't do. You tell me what I have to do and follow certain guidelines. It's like, there's no way I'm a 1099. But sure, go ahead and... and you know, save yourself millions and millions of dollars in, in payroll taxes. Well, right. No, exactly. And if you, it, you know, if you don't, I was brought up in the captive world. If you, if you started there, then you, you don't really know there's another world, right? I mean, that's the world yeah. you know. And again, you know, uh, it, for a long time, it was a good world, but I started to get, um, what you don't want is you start getting that, you know, when you say, oh, you're the, you, when you find out you're the, that old guy that you never wanted to become, where they say you're the old complaining agent, Right. And I looked in yep. the mirror and I'm like, I'm the old complaining agent. So either you, mm. you know, and no one likes that person. So, yep. uh, and one day my wife looked at me and she said, you're just miserable. You're not the fun. 
outgoing marketing guy that you were, you're just miserable and you're angry and you're this and you're that. So, so oh, I had, man. yeah. So I had a decision to make and, um, about seven years before this. So, well, so I had a little bit of a boost that others probably don't generally have. And that is I had gotten into the private flood game. We used the private flood really to write homeowners. That was the play. It wasn't about private flood. It's never been about private flood. It's about trying to get homeowners and bundling, right? And so if I'm competing with someone else and my bundle or my total premiums lower, then then hopefully I get the deal. And we were writing a lot. I was getting into pay-per-click through Google, which people don't do it. You're going to get your ass handed to you. I'm just telling you at this point, then it was $2 a click. Now it's 14 and you'll lose your ass. But um, at the time it was pretty good. And we were getting a lot of leads. Uh, we started writing a lot of business. And as we talk about niches is like pain point. Okay. We've got a pain point here. And um, just like the niche I got into restaurants, it was work comp in California. They'd gone through the, the rates had gone crazy. And farmers at that time were the only ones really riding. So here you go. Niche flood, niche uh got into it and wrote enough that i said well why are we why are we giving all these policies to wholesalers and uh basically contacted lloyds took it's a long story we can get into it if you yeah. want but we became a cover holder so we got our own program we write our own policy we generate the policy in our office farmers didn't like this uh, mostly because they didn't know about it and i think it was going to cause a problem with some of the agents you know, sort of one agent has something others don't, and we're all supposed to be equal. So I brought a partner, she took it over, ran it, and I just kind of maintained my farmer's thing. And then at about 50, she said, okay, look, I think it's time that I'm step out. And this is the time I said, you know what, here's my exit. The contract value froze. And I said, either I stay with farmers and call it a career and put a smile on, or it's time to go. And one thing I'll mention that my district manager said to me, and I, this is like, you know, everyone has a saying or a motto or something. This is something he told me and I'll never forget. And I'm gonna use it for both men and women. He said, adversity breaks some men, other men break records. Adversity breaks some women, other women break records. So you know what? If you, you know, you can say adversity, it can break you or other people are breaking records during that time. And I said, it's time to just get this thing and go. So at 50, it's the new 50. Aaron is the new 50. And yeah, we put our resignation in and, and now here we are a couple years later. There's so much <laughs> to follow up with that. I, first and foremost, when I was laughing at your wife saying that you are not any fun, that you don't have the pep in your step that you should or that you used to. I'm laughing because in episode one of this podcast, I shared how my wife said precisely the same thing to me in November of 20, uh, 2012. Or, uh, sorry. No, what, what, yeah, sorry. That was my origin story in Farmers, not uh, where you were. It was not exactly the same because it wasn't the conversation where I went from a captive to independent, but from my prior life to entrepreneurship, that same, you're miserable, do something about it. You know, you have two choices, either do something about it or shut up and stop complaining for the love of God. So, the, man, I, I love hearing that you stuck it out that long and tried to find ways to make it work because you were invested in the agency and, you know, you didn't want to throw in the towel, but then 
there, there's definitely a couple things I can't go into in this episode because it would take us so off track and would guarantee that we wouldn't get done and have to have a second episode. Probably just need to have a, a conversation with you separately, maybe a, like a 30-minute episode or something, talking about how you got your own Lloyd's program off the ground sure, and have your own you know, cover holder for Private Flood. Most people listening to this episode have never even considered the possibility of launching their own program. We don't have our own Lloyd's paper at this point, but we're piggybacking something else, utilizing someone else's paper and acting as a form of a wholesaler. But I've definitely thought about, you know, at what point do I go to Lloyd's and get my own program? It's almost like a rite of passage for folks like you and I that live in the ENS world. You know, at some point you got to have your own program or else you're going to feel like you missed out on on a piece of candy that you wanted to try. So, yeah, well, I would just talk to that point. What I would say, again, you can only sort of go with what you know at the time, right? Uh, where different things happen at different times of the marketplace. We're, you know, where I'm talking about when I left farmers, there was things have cha- things are changing. Look, they're changing the contract. There's, you know, a big lawsuit and you know, with the independence in California, supposedly they're changing all that. I'm supposed to get a check here f- pretty soon. So it might be worked out pretty good. Hmm. Well, good for them. Yeah. Good for all the, all the California agents. But what you can do is you can connect with a cover holder if you have an idea. I mean, that's what you, would probably happen now. If you went to Lloyd's, they'd probably say, listen, in this marketplace, we're not looking to bring on a new cover holder. It's a lot of time and energy, but that doesn't mean you can't get a, a program. You just You just align with someone and it's probably a faster process and a lot less expense. Yeah. And then you end up having to, when you get a cover, a cover, a slip from Lloyd's, you end up having to defend that slip every single year at renewal and justify your existence to the powers that be in London. So that's an entirely different game. And most people listening to this episode are sitting here going, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just trying to run my retail shop, serve my clients, grow my book of business, you know, and, and get out of the office in time to play nine holes on Friday afternoon. <laughs> and there ain't nothing wrong with that, man. That's a good life for a lot of folks. It is. So it is, you I, know, one thing that you, um, but one thing that you've learned and, you know, one thing, if we could impart on agents and, and this is something I think sometimes in the captive world, when they talk about loss ratios, the bottom line is if you talk about those companies and it's not a knock, it's just the way it is where, I mean, bottom line, most agents, they don't care if there's losses. I mean, a lot of agents today, right? I mean, if you write a policy, they're like, well, too bad. You know, I wrote the policy and I just want a commission. And if that company fails and goes out of business, does that agent really care? No, not not no, really. No, they really don't really care, right? But when we get to a level like like you're at with your investor programs and things like that, as you know, it comes down to profit, profitability. And you, yep. and one thing that really was interesting for us to, to really learn, and it's a, it's a very difficult transition, is you have to trade your hat of retail agent to wholesaler really mm-hmm. becomes a mindset change, which is because when you get a pen, when they say, okay, here's the pen and you can approve this on your own. The question is, should you approve it? Because just because you should doesn't mean you, you know, or you can doesn't mean you should, because yes, there's a profit commission component generally behind it because you probably shouldn't approve everything, but most retail agents would just say, let's just write everything we can, but claims happen. 
And this yeah. is a concept. Anyway, we're kind of I'm kind of another rabbit hole, but something that no, ages it, it is a really important learn. thing. It's a really important thing to note, and it's a point that I made pretty vigorously in the book that is almost done. I'm in the final stages as we record this episode of getting it ready to send to the publisher to go through the editing process, and we should be publishing in Q1 of 23, which is going to be fun. Wow! But I make the point in the book. The captive, the exclusive agent has no reason to think about loss ratio. It's never discussed unless you're just way out of line and then you get griped at by your territory so-and-so for having a bad loss ratio and you're not eligible for certain bonuses and whatnot. But day-to-day, it means absolutely nothing to a captive or exclusive agent because they, I mean, they only have one market to write in, whether it's State Farm, All State Farmers, AmFam, whatever the, right. the flavor of... the of that agency is, it is what it is, you know? They're not concerned about it for the same reasons that a bird isn't concerned about manufacturing uh, regulations in China. Are manufacturing regulations important? Yeah, but not to the bird. The bird literally never encounters those things. And I know that that's a ridiculous analogy to draw, but it's like a bird in the tree here in North Texas is completely unaware of the manufacturing regulations of a factory in China. It's just completely separate things that never cross paths. So you make an excellent point, but as the the migration happens from being an insurance agent, and here's the thing, here's the real thing. When you stop being just an insurance agent who's slinging a policy and you realize, wait a second, if I'm gonna grow this thing, I've gotta be a business owner. I have to act like someone who's running a business, who's managing expenses, who's growing revenue, who's concerned about profit. You know, slinging products, yeah, that's great if you want to be stuck in the minor leagues forever, but it's not just what company do I represent. It really is a mindset, I think. You you want to comment on that before we go forward to the next thing? Hey, Freedom Jumper, are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who is it, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. I just, I think it's important for any agent if you have, and I'm sure you've got some younger agents that listen to this. It's something they really got to consider. And it's hard. It's hard because I think when you get to, if you make it, quote, make it, and you've been in the game 20 years, maybe we look and say, well, we've got incomes that are commiserate with, we we can handle not taking every risk, right? I try and sometimes think of the young agent and trust me, we were there. I remember being in in my car. I think every agent has a point they come to, the come to Jesus meeting of what am I doing? as an agent, like, what am I really doing here? Mine was sitting in a car 20 miles from my house in Pacific beach, 
going, I had to walk a quarter mile. There's no parking, walking a quarter mile so I could try and write a renter's policy, like a $30 a month renter's policy. The people took an hour of my time, asked every question in the book. I tried to sell everything. They basically said, we'll get back to you. And as I started to walk away, it started pouring rain. And I got to my car at nine o'clock at night, soaking wet with nothing and hardly any gas in my car. And I almost started crying going, you know, God, what am, what are you doing? What what's going on here? You know, that kind of a thing. Yep. So so we understand that, but I think it's super important that young agents learn from the beginning. Don't write every policy. Not every policy is good. There's someone that has some claims, or it looks funny, it smells funny. It's funny. It shouldn't be written, and it's going to cause someone a claim, and uh, you don't want a book like that. And that's how you you know you get a book like that. You start writing bad business, and pretty soon you got a what do they call it a hot book or something, a hot mess yep. of a book, per, basically. But oh anyway. man. The moment you realize that not all opportunities are created equal and just be, let me, let me rephrase that because that was a, kind of a dumb thing to say. Everybody probably knows that. The moment you realize that the inbound prospect, unless they saw something from you on your website or YouTube or they got referred to you by a friend of theirs, if they're reaching out on their own, there's almost always a reason why they're reaching out on their own. They got a big increase at renewal. They had a claim that went totally sideways. They had a driver that wasn't disclosed to the carrier and their rate shot through the roof. There's so many different ways that an inbound request can be garbage where it is nuclear. And if you bring that into your agency, everybody's going to get radiation poisoning. You know, it's, it's that kind of, of a situation. And I think that's something that younger agents don't really figure out until they get burned once or twice, where the inbound request lies to you, or they, they do something really questionable or unethical, or you have a, a, a chargeback because somebody ghosted you after the policy and went NOC two months in because that contractor was just looking for a certificate. And once you gave them a certificate, they don't need you anymore. And they played you for a fool. Now, there's, there's so many different stories you and I could probably yeah, tell of, no, you know, warnings of where the landmines are hidden. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, but that's the value we want to, I mean, that we want to give, we're giving some value today. It's to agents. Listen, you're probably going, Oh, listen, these two old guys are going to talk about something like this, but speak for yourself, man. I'm only <laughs> yeah. 38. I've only been doing this for 10 years. Yes. <laughs> I'll be old someday. Well, this 50, 50 year old is the new 40. Coming, hey man, but that works for me, man. Okay. I'll be 40 in like 13 months. So I am definitely not a spring chicken by any but, means. But I guess we could say this. If you when you're if you're captive and you come out, you have to learn this stuff because what you learn is that if you build a book of it, an independent book and you have a profit commission or profit sharing or something, and you realize that one bad risk costs you 20 grand, that's the last time you will ever make that mistake again. Right. Cause you yep. knew in your gut, your gut told you it was probably a shitty risk, right? Um, to begin yep. with. And then when it does become a $200,000 claim and then you find out, oh, if I didn't have that claim, I would have gotten a $20,000 commission and now yep. you're not getting the family vacation. But um, Well, and if you're on a, with a carrier that has a rolling three-year look back for contingency and profit sharing, you didn't just tank yourself for one year. You tanked yourself for three years with that carrier where you're burned for any possibility of contingency or profit sharing uh, if you had uh, you know, a total loss or a serious injury or fatality or, or in, my kids, in my situation, it was 2017 and one of my insureds 
was diving for an exit on the highway, literally jumped across three lanes of traffic trying to exit, caused a three-car accident, and it ended up being a massive problem. I was still a farmer's agent in 2017, and uh, it, it ended up being a large claim, and it was the last week of the year, and it cost me $18,000 in bonus payout. Ouch. That was the 27th, 28th of December. I already basically spent of most of my bonus thinking, oh, yeah, That's right. I'm going to get a nice bonus in March. No, never happened. And the worst part of it is, and you said it, Aaron, I knew when I wrote that person that they were sketchy and it was questionable as to, you know, should I write this or not? It was just a little bit of a gut feeling thing. It was a nice size account. It was probably three, 4000 an auto-only premium. And I wrote it and then... You know, that commission was probably $450, $500, and it cost me 18000 Hard so, lesson. Yeah, I, you and I could tell a bunch of stories. Here we are getting bogged down. There's a couple of really big, cool things that I want to talk about. The first thing is, let's get your freedom jump out of the way. How did that work? What was it that the straw that broke the camel's back and made you go, you know what, this captive exclusive agent thing, it's just not for me anymore and what did you do about it? How did you go about deciding what the next path was? You already had the private flood thing, which we're going to talk about here in a couple of minutes. So maybe that is your answer. Did you have a regular retail office that you, you know, you launched an independent office where you're just doing, you know, bread and butter, normal independent agent stuff? Or was it only this special programs thing that you're into? No, no, no. I think one thing that I, I will always think that's a really good thing of the farmer's contract, at least the one I had, the I don't know, the, the old quote, old contract was that, you know, we could place business outside of farmers if it didn't fit. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I cut my teeth really on ENS business. So we had a lot of, you know, con again, contractors and just the things that didn't fit. So we had that quote outside book to begin with. We had an agency management system. We sort of operated like an independent agency in the sense of ha knowing how to produce certs and, and, and those sort of things. But yeah, I think it just really came down to being unhappy, not wanting to be the uh, the person that showed up to the meetings, you know, and, and you get kind of vilified, right? You get to the point where this guy's all he is, is, you know, you're just the downer and, you, and you're always negative. There's, oh, you're just always negative. It's like, okay, we'll do something about it. So I woke up and said, that's it. I'm going to do something about it. And I made the call and said, I'm going to do something about it. I'm out. And I loved my district manager, by the way. And, and that was a tough situation. And I just went in professionally. He was yep. uber professional and we shook hands and, um, you know, gave him my resignation and um, proceeded to move on. That was one of the hardest days of my life too, man. I remember that conversation with my DM, uh, Gary Edmonds. I named him um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, in another episode. That's the first time I think, first time I've said his name on here. He's just a, an absolutely A-plus human being, and he was a father figure. And walking into that office was one of the worst days of my life because I knew that he was going to be disappointed, and I knew he was going to look at me as as a dad looks at a son when he doesn't agree with what the son is doing because, I mean, Gary was a father figure of sorts. That was an awful day. But I don't regret it at all. It was the right move. And I knew that going into it. So enduring the suck of that moment will be with me forever. As you are, I can tell. Very grateful for Gary's leadership and the way that he handled that and facilitated my exit. Gary was 
kind and gracious in making things happen so that I could leave and go do the rest of my career. Yeah, look, uh, yeah, I'll mention his name was Frank Silva, and he was a mentor to me. Same thing, a father figure taught me about business. He used to say when, when we first started, he was very wealthy, which I guess doesn't necessarily matter. Other than he, he came, he held himself. He he showed you by his actions that what a business owner was. It wasn't about writing insurance policies, right? It was about being a business yep. owner and yep. and showed you in the way he acted. Uh, he was well-known in San Diego for various things, charitable functions and certain things. But he used to say, he'd sit at his desk, you see, you see these baseboards at my desk and uh, in my office? He'd say, no, there's no baseboards. Like you see in the back of mine, these cheap rubber. He said, because baseboards never made me one penny. And and he always had these little quips that he would to teach agents, don't make money and then go blow, go blow it on a Mercedes the first time you get a good commission check, right? You got to be a business owner. You got to save and you got to expand your business. And so he really helped me along the lines. But I think it was also tough. Look, it's not as low as like an angry agent that never did anything. Not that, you know, I'm proud. I made a million dollar roundtable one year. I made president's council twice. One year I had like the number three production in the whole company. I'm proud of that. I worked really hard. You know, I didn't have a, my father wasn't in the business. I didn't have an uncle in the business. I didn't, you know, yeah. I had the first day I, when I came in and I signed the contract, I said, I literally said, okay, where were you? What? area of town are you putting me in? He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, don't you, you know, I get an area. And and he said, son, he gave me the, the phone book and a reverse directory and said, here you go. I mean, we had Good you luck. Know, the X. Get after it. Yeah. We had X date call nights, four nights a week. My girlfriend would come in and we'd sit there and call X dates all night long. So I don't, so, you know, when people say, I don't know, they can say whatever they want. I could say, listen, I got to where I am. By nothing because you got to have a fire right here. If you don't have, you know, and I say this when you're hiring uh, producers. So people out there, if you're hiring producers, if they don't got a fire right here in their belly, they'll never get it. Just get rid of them. You got to have yep. it right here. That's it. So I, I'm going to camp out here for a little bit. And I just decided that we're definitely having two episodes because there is, there's a few questions I want to ask here. And it's about million dollar roundtable, but it's about life insurance in particular because we almost never talk about life insurance at all on this podcast. I might have mentioned it in passing once or twice, but we've never had a segment where we really get into it uh, at all. I don't personally do anything with life insurance right now. We're changing that for 23 and beyond because we're just tired of sending money out the door for stuff that we can very easily write, especially for the real estate investors. But for the folks that aren't familiar with Million Dollar Roundtable, it's probably because they don't do anything in the life insurance world, why don't you explain what that is and why it is a big deal to make MDRT as an insurance agent? Yeah, well, and look, I'll be really honest. We have since gone in, uh, independent now that I got the programs and we'll get to hopefully Top Dog Pet Insurance and, and the flood stuff. Uh, those are yep. more of the things that I'm doing I recently just got back into contracting with a life company that does you know some really cool insure techie kind of stuff with life because I felt the same way. We've got a really big book of uh, of people out there and we're doing nothing when it comes to it. So one, I feel like it's our duty as agents. We should be talking to people about life insurance. It's important. 
if you've never had someone call and ask you, hey, did my husband have life insurance? And that happened to me at least twice. And you say, no, I'm sorry. Uh, I did tell him and he said he was fine. That That's kind of rough. Um, and that's where I, we did get in to help people. But certainly the other thing is, you know, is it's good income. But the million dollar roundtable is basically, and I don't even know the number today, but you got to write a certain amount of life insurance or the based on commissions. And at the time, this one particular year, I dealt with mostly business owners. I wasn't interested in writing those simple terms and, you know, those little things that didn't pay any money. But very simply, if you, uh, I had a, a couple of business owners and I said to these two partners, they were really growing. And I said, listen, do you, and one of the brothers was kind of crazy. And I said, listen, you, you better do a buy, sell uh, life policy in each other. Oh, we don't need it. I said, okay, let me, let me change the, the terms here. If your brother gets divorced and you've told me you think he's going to, or he dies, his wife, uh, I should say his wife, he dies, his wife is going to take that 50% and she could sell it to your biggest competitor. And now they're going to call you and say, good morning, partner. How are, how are we doing today? And he said, oh, they can't do that. I said, okay, well, don't believe me. Just talk to an attorney. And we did. And the next thing you know, we're sitting down talking about like seven to 12. Well, one was 7,000 a month, a premium. And one was like 12,000 a month premium. And, mm. and when you start getting those terms, it's not about, you know, I mean, the attorney's doing all the work. He said, you need this. And they say, okay. And they sign a dotted line. It's not you like trying to sell and doom and gloom and begging for for this stuff. I mean, this stuff sells itself when you're talking about people yep. that have money. So to your point, but the Million Dollar Roundtable is a very exclusive group. I made it once. There's people there that have done 30 years in a row. And to me, that's incredible. Those people are true salespeople. Oh, yeah. You know, so those are the people that are are selling consistent life, big size uh, and number of policies, right? So they're out there really selling life policies, helping families, business owners, corporations and stuff doing, protecting that sort of thing. I, I got to say, I was really curious how you came about MDRT because, I mean, as a farmer's agent, they make a big deal out of the great life agents uh, get to go to MDRT and they make a big deal out of it. And you get the trophy and you get recognition and you're forever able to say that you're an MDRT agent. And it was like, how did this happen? Aaron, uh, Aaron's into a lot of stuff. <laughs> I'm really curious how life insurance was enough of the picture that you were able to achieve MDRT. And it sounds like in large part, it was one really nice win that you got with a couple of big fat policies that probably got you a large chunk of the way towards qualifying for MDRT just with those two, right? Y yeah. Yeah, certainly. That certainly helped. Wow. Yeah, no question. I mean, if, if the answer is, if the question is, you know, did you get it by writing $420 a month? No, had no interest in no. that. Shoot did, me if that's how we get it. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but, but I will say that through the years, we did write Here's another, you know, a farmer's thing where, right, they put up the 100, 100 life people and you always say, wow, that's that's really impressive. And it is. But when you realize that, you know, half these people don't need it, you're writing it on children, not that you shouldn't, but some of it's the wrong reason, right? And yeah. and I, I think if you, for someone like yourself and I that are dealing again with investors, business owners, there are certain things that they need help. They don't have anyone telling them why it's important again yep. knowing that to protect their their estate right there's a state tax i mean and things are changing things are changing with the state tax rules and there's a lot of complex issues can be solved with life insurance 
So, um, but someone just needs to tell them and someone needs to hold their hand and there's a lot of resources. So you don't even have to be a hundred percent expert. You can just bring in the experts in, right? You bring the experts in and as a team, you can help them. They get help. They get the right information and you get the commission and it's a good thing for everybody. If you're comfortable, I'd love for you to name drop whoever it is that you're riding through. It, you said there's some tech forward things, there's some innovative things that that company or that wholesaler or MGA is doing. Um, I'm, I'm going to name a couple of folks here in just a second, but I figured I'd let you go first if you want to give somebody credit for having a good program. Yeah, well, I, I just started. One is back nine. Mm -hmm. uh, one is back nine. And of course, <laughs> interesting, every time you turn around, someone says, oh yeah, that used to be with farmer's insurance. It's so crazy. How many people with farmers and then they branch out into some other uh, realm. So apparently the owner of that was with back nine. I'd also say you should look up uh, Jack Jameson. He's um, he's out there. Mm -hmm. um, he former was a farmer's, former farmer's agent. agent well. And he is working with another outfit. And I think they have a very similar. So if you know Jack, he is very, uh, very smart in this. But in this back nine, you literally can send a link to the customer where they can basically put in their basic information and it can give them 20 options. And today, without needing the med, they can literally give them, they can do almost all of it themselves without a med and get it done in 15 minutes. It's amazing. And then if they want help, it says, do you want help? And it can really help them or can send to you where you can run the quotes and get back to them. So there's self-service and then there's you know, where the agent can help, but the process is sped up so much more than I think when you and I did it three, four years ago when we were at Farmers. It's light years ahead. The best I ever did at Farmers was like 70 or 80 policies. Well, that's impressive. Um, I, it was it was never anything that I was focused on. And I'm looking here and yeah, yeah our friends over at Insurance Soup Dobby and McCormick, I think they're involved in Back Nine. That Back Nine is actually one of the two that I was going to to mention, and Ethos is the other one. There is so much opportunity, whether it's Back Nine or Ethos or, or something else, that the agent is getting into. Just because you can sell everything doesn't mean you should sell everything. We certainly don't want to spread ourselves too thin. But I think it's a very good idea to be mindful. If you choose to not sell something, have a good reason for why you're not doing it. Because anything you choose to not sell in the marketplace, you're giving your competition an opportunity to access your book of business through whatever that line of business is and then cross-sell the rest of the book once they get some kind of an entry point. And uh, you know, Aaron, you and I are going to continue on in the recording here, but this is a good spot to wrap up the first part of this double episode, a mega-sode, if you will, with Mr. Aaron Farmer. So for those of you that are listening live, thank you for joining us here in our first two-part interview that we've ever had. Uh, I think this is fantastic. At this point, Aaron, uh, it looks like you're probably going to be dropping at the very beginning of 2023. We have the recordings done for the rest of the year. So you folks listening here in January 2023, welcome to the new year. Glad to be starting another year with you at Agency Freedom Podcast and catch the second part of this interview one week from today. So this is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Make it a great day, boys and girls. We'll talk to you again real soon. 
Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. Visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Until next time, let's go.